cheated. I don't know if anyone would uh, disagree with my assessment that we live in a particularly anxious age. Anyone disagree with that? I mean, it's okay. It's, feel free to disagree with me. Uh, people dis my wife disagrees with me all the time. It's fantastic. <laughs> she was not amused by that. <laughs> oh, you're just getting your pen. I'm sorry. <laughs> we live in a particularly anxious age, and my anxiety rate just skyrocketed. The rate of change, the overwhelming amount of information accessible at our fingertips that quite often brings horrific news from various parts of our country and the world, our own brokenness, our own sickness, our own internal corruptions, damage done at the hands of others, damage done to others. Sometimes it just seems like this world and everything in it is circling the drain as it's pulled down the bowl into the trap and out into the pipes. Trying to follow Jesus and be faithful to him in obedient response to the love and grace given through him. Trying to live in the power of the Holy Spirit different than the world around us. That can lead us into difficulty. Sometimes among the very people we love most. Sometimes in life, when it seems as though everything is against us, as if our lives are spinning out of control, circling the drain, as it were, we need to hear that God has got this. We need to be reminded of God's love. What we don't need is to be like Pollyanna in our thinking, as if telling ourselves, well, it's not as bad as it could be. Well, it's just a broken leg. It's not a broken back, as if that's going to solve anything. What we don't need is to tell ourselves it's only a flesh wound, as if that will make it heal faster or somehow go away. No, when, when we are afflicted in every way, when we are perplexed, persecuted, struck down, wasting away, groaning, what we need to hear is the word and promise of God. What we need is to rehearse the actions of God. What we need in anxious times is worship. Today, as we turn in our Bibles to Psalm 138, we, we hear a call to worship the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, even and especially in the midst of trouble, in the midst of anxious times. And we hear this call to worship God for who He is and for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. And so today, as we look at Psalm 138 together, our attention is drawn to three basic points of emphasis. First, we see that it is the triune God who is the recipient of praise and worship. Second, we see that the triune God receives this praise and worship because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness as worked out in action. And then third, we see that the triune God will accomplish his plans and his purposes. Our psalmist begins this psalm this morning by simply declaring his intention to give thanks to praise God. And throughout the course of the psalm, the psalmist is aligning his vision towards God, and he uses a couple of different phrases to say this. He's talking about giving thanks. He's talking about singing praises. He's talking about giving worship. 
Three different verbs that are used throughout the course of this psalm all to depict very much the same thing. The obedient response to God's grace, God's initiative, God's action by aligning the whole of the person towards God. That's what worship is. But who is the one who's receiving worship? Well, when we see here in Psalm 138 and we see this in uh, almost every chapter of the scriptures in the Old Testament, we see the word Lord in all capital letters. And when we see the word Lord written in all capital letters, as we do here in verse 1 of Psalm 138, we need to recognize that this is the way in which most English translations treat the name Yahweh. And let's pause for a moment just to remind ourselves that the name Yahweh is uh, functions something like the personal name for the triune God in the pages of the Old Testament. This was the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Moses says, who should I say has sent me? God's response, tell them that I am who I am has sent you. Yahweh means I am who I am. It's a reference to God's eternal and self-existent being, his, his godness as God, his creator uh, status. Yahweh is the God then who is the covenant-making God of Israel. He is the one who called Abram out of Ur the Chaldees. He is the one who turned Abram's name to Abraham and made him a father of nations. He is the one, Yahweh is the one, who delivered Israel from Egypt and gave the law at Sinai. This God is the one who led the people of Israel into the promised land, and then again and again and again called Israel to repentance and faith. This is the one, the God, who again and again exhibited his faithfulness, his initiative taking to his people. And this is the God The psalmist will praise, will thank, will sing to, and will worship, and not another. In fact, it's important, I think, as verse 1 specifically points out, the psalmist will praise this God named Yahweh, not other gods, not other pagan deities, false gods who are impotent to do anything because they themselves are nothing. In Psalm 135, the psalmist tells us that the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And so rather than worship something he has formed from his own hands, Rather than worship something that is mute, blind, and deaf, that has no breath, the psalmist declares he will worship Yahweh, who is the creator, who is the one who has eyes to see and who can speak out his word, who has ears to hear, and doesn't just breathe, but gives the breath of life. That is who the psalmist will worship. That is who the psalmist will praise. That's wonderful, you might be saying to yourself. That sounds great. But why in the world is Yahweh worthy to be praised in this way? I'm glad you asked because that takes us to our second point. Yahweh is the recipient of this praise, this worship, this singing because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. Because those things that idols cannot do, Yahweh can do. And so worship fundamentally then is the proper response to the work of God. 
There are many words used in Scripture to describe worship. One of these words literally means to bow down before. Another means to serve. Yet another means to make confession. And again, another means to fear or to reverence. And so in Psalm 138, worship is given to Yahweh. He is reverenced. He is bowed down before. He is served. He is confessed to. He is sung to. Because of his steadfast love and faithfulness in action. That's exactly what the psalmist says in verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. It's, it's worth spending some time here. Love is, is, is a concept. Love is a word. Love is an action that has been emasculated in our 21st century cultural context. It has been gutted of virtually all legitimate meaning. When we say that we love someone now, we rely too much on some chemical reaction of dopamine in our brain with adrenaline and other chemicals that make us feel good. And when those chemicals stop working, we say that we've fallen out of love. That is not the love of God. And I would argue that's not even true love for us as humans. You see, the word that is translated as steadfast love, the word that we think of sometimes as faithfulness, long-during love, is hesed in Hebrew. And it's a reference to Yahweh's condescending love toward His people that is unearned and unmerited and is everlasting. It's an act almost, I think we can say, of, of God's will to love in this way with an everlasting love. One of the greatest truths of the scriptures, one of the greatest truths about God, perhaps the greatest truth about God, revolves around him and his steadfast love for his people, for his children. As children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones has put it, this is God's love. He, she calls it a wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That's hesed. That's steadfast love. That is love that acts on behalf of the beloved out of the will of the lover for the good of the beloved with consistency and constancy. And here in this passage, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to you, I will praise you because you are steadfast in your love. Willem van Gambren has commented that the Lord is constant in his love toward his children, and so great is his faithfulness to his promised name that the psalmist exclaims that whatever the Lord has done in the past is dwarfed by what he is still doing in God's love. And God shows this love in action. We all know this to be true. It's one thing to say something, but it's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say, I love you, and another thing to live out of that love, right? We know this is true. I mean, even the mid-90s one-hit wonder band Extreme knew this was true. and They sang that song, More Than Words. More than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. <laughs> Played that at our wedding, didn't we, Anna? No, we didn't. <laughs> and you guys are embarrassed that I just sang. No, stop, stop. No, I don't want to sing it again. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It takes more than words 
to show you, Phil, that your love for me is real. And in Psalm 138, in the rest of Scripture, God's steadfast love is robustly revealed with more than words. It isn't that the psalmist has heard God say, I love you, and then witnessed God turning his back on him in the midst of his trouble. It isn't that the psalmist has heard God say, I love you, only to experience divine abandonment. It's not that at all. Rather, if you look at the the psalm itself in verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. That is love in action. God taking the initiative to work on behalf of the beloved. That is a cause to worship. God, in his love, has regard for the lowly, for the humble, as the psalmist writes in verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. That is love in action regarding the humble. And God, in his love, delivers. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Here, the psalmist personally applies a truth of God that he's experienced, that has been experienced corporately and individually in the pages of Scripture, and that is the experience of deliverance at the hands of God, working out of his steadfast love. The entirety of the Bible is essentially the record of God's saving acts on behalf of sinful humanity. In the Old Testament, we read of God's working out of salvation for His people Israel by His right hand and holy arm, by His power and the exercise of His dominion and strength. He subdued the enemies and He won victory. In His loving kindness to His people Israel, He saved. And in His loving kindness to His people Israel, He was faithful to them in their covenant with Him, even when they were not. Again and again and again, calling them to repent and to return. But these Old Testament deliverances were but shadows of the great deliverance to come, of the great deliverer to come. These Old Testament actions of God's love only pointed towards the greatest action of His love, which is the sending of the Son coupled with the sending of the Spirit. The sending of the Son is the steadfast love of God in action. As the eternal Son of God became incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit within the womb of the Virgin Mary, came forth into this world, was born as Jesus of Nazareth, who lived and He moved, who ministered and led and called people back to God, And then in his crucifixion and death, in his resurrection, which culminates in his ascension, God worked out salvation and deliverance. There's nothing more to be done now because Jesus, the Son, has been sent. And having accomplished, he has returned. And in his return, then, the Holy Spirit is sent. Again, love in action. Because of God's steadfast love, he's sent. That's why we worship and praise, even in the midst of trouble. Because we rehearse that which God has done for us, and in rehearsing, we remember. But there's something more that we need to recognize here in this psalm, and I think we need to pay some careful attention to what Scripture, and specifically our psalm, has to say. On the one hand, we recognize, and we need to hear, and we need to heed what Scripture actually says about salvation. It is from God, at the initiative of God, 
and in the grace of God that people can be delivered. Human beings can be reconciled to God only by God's grace through faith in Jesus, the Christ, the crucified, risen, and ascended Son of the living God. And on the other hand, life can only be truly lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, a life that is perfectly pleasing to God, a life of sanctification, a life of transformation. But we also need to recognize that there is an equal truth in Scripture, a truth about the life that is lived in faith of God. It ain't without trouble. Chester Cheetah once said, it ain't easy being cheesy. We recognize that it is not easy to be a believer in Jesus, to be a child of God. There is trouble in this life. And just as an aside, for close to 100 years now, there's been a, a popular, a wildly popular and virulent strain of Christian theology that proclaims that life among God's people promises wealth and promises health and promises a lack of trouble. Folks, this is an unbiblical anti-gospel. It elevates sinful humanity to a place far beyond its appropriate spot in Scripture. It turns faith, something that Paul tells us is itself God-given, into a work. And it ignores amazingly huge passages of the Scriptures. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the name it and claim it belief structure as proclaimed by Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Oral Roberts, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, and Paula White, and so many others are repugnant, is repugnant, to the plain reading of Scripture. It turns God into a butler, a cosmic Santa Claus, and a bellboy who you assume is going to be at your beck and call. You see, the glory of God isn't found in giving you everything you want. In fact, sometimes that's judgment. But God is glorified as he delivers out of trouble, as he does something in us in the midst of trouble. God is glorified as he is found right next to us in the midst of it all, in these anxious times. Sometimes we endure trouble because we're stupid and we make bad decisions and the trouble comes as a consequence. Sometimes trouble is thrust upon us from external circumstances and the actions of others or by the rebellion of our own bodies. Sometimes trouble is more internal than external. A dark night of the soul is experienced by St. John of the Cross, a 16th century divine, in which the crisis is more spiritual than physical, an attack upon our conscience or upon our faith. And so when we face trouble, what do we do? Where do we turn? The psalmist tells us, in these words so reminiscent of the most popular psalm, Psalm 23, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Some of the godliest people I know are not those who have never endured trouble, but rather have endured through trouble and now walk with a limp because God has delivered them. As believers in Jesus, we are called to fall back upon God, and I would offer that for all people, God is ultimately the only being upon whom we should fall, as only God exhibits the steadfast love and faithfulness necessary. Only God can pull us out of our darkness. We can never by ourselves accomplish deliverance. Evelyn Husband lost the love of her life. Space Shuttle Commander Rick Husband in a national tragedy. 
In February of 2003, Evelyn stood with the other families of the Space Shuttle Columbia's crew at the landing site in Cape Canaveral, waiting for the shuttle and her husband to return. Just minutes from landing, NASA's mission control lost contact with the shuttle crew, and the next few moments were a blur of events, video images of Columbia breaking apart over the Texas skyline. Evelyn remembers looking at the faces of her son, Matthew, and her daughter, Laura, then 7 and 12. And that was the beginning of Evelyn's efforts to deliver a powerful message. Even in the midst of intense suffering, God is faithful. Just over a year after watching Columbia disintegrate, she said, Deep inside, I knew God was going to walk me through this somehow. I knew it because he'd walked with me through other crises earlier in my life. Folks, there is such confidence in God in this psalm. Such confidence in the steadfast love and faithfulness of Yahweh. As this psalm draws to a close, there is confidence in God and His love. Confidence in knowing that as God has delivered in the past, He will deliver in the present and in the future. And while His deliverance may not look like that which we desire or expect, we can have confidence that God is in control, that God has a plan and a purpose. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The triune God of Scripture is Yahweh, and only He is worthy of worship. Because he, only he, exhibits a steadfast love manifested in action for saving, through rescuing, for strengthening. God's ultimate and greatest rescue mission involved the sending of his son to be incarnate in the historical person, Jesus, crucified, risen, and ascended. Continues in the work of the Holy Spirit today. And not content to save only souls in his steadfast love, Yahweh is ever-present to his people to preserve life and to bring them through many troubles as he works out his plan. About God, J.I. Packer has written, two facts are assumed, in, if not actually stated, in every single biblical passage. The first is that he is king, absolute monarch of the universe, ordering all its affairs, working out his will and all that happens within it. The second fact is that he speaks, uttering words that express his will in order to cause it to be done. Hear these words from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many bro brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What wonderful words of reflecting on the steadfast love of God. 
Only the triune God of the Bible is worthy to be worshipped and praised because only God has acted upon this steadfast love and continues to act for the salvation of sinful humans. Only God is worthy of worship in the midst of trouble because only this God is in control, working out His purposes and His plans. And that is why we come back to worship in the midst of anxious times. Worship in the midst of anxious times is so credibly important because, quite frankly, folks, we have terribly short memories. And we need to rehearse that which God has done in order to remember and place our confidence in Him and His love. Worship is incredibly important even in the midst and especially in the midst of anxious times because it is the faithful and grateful response to grace. It is so incredibly important because in it, we fix our eyes upon the one who is faithful to save. And in the midst of anxious times, in the midst of troubling times, worship is so incredibly important because in it, we fix our eyes upon the only one who can deliver in his steadfast love. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.